0: Before opening the word of God, shall we pray. Father, again, it is a privilege to be here this morning. I ask that you be with us and guide us with your spirit. Father, this morning, make me nail upon the wall, fasten securely in its place. And from this thing so common and yet so small, I hang a picture of your face hiding the nail. we ask it in Jesus' most precious name. What a privilege it is to be in God's house this beautiful morning. Go with me to John 17 again, verses 9 and 10. John 17, verses 9 and 10. What Roger read. Verse John 17, 9 and 10. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. Here he's specifically praying for his own. He prays for his disciples. You know what, we're his disciples today. So he says he's praying for us. But for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Mark those words and mark them very well. Jesus is praying to the Father. He's saying, all mine is thine. Every one of these disciples are yours. And thine are mine. And yours is mine. And I'll be glorified in them. Has people been glorified? Has Jesus been glorified in us this week? Has people seen us and they glorify God by the way we act, by the way we talk, by the way we treat people, by the smile, by our kindness, by our dispositions, by the way we come across to people? When you shop or wherever you was at, you smile at the clerk? Because you know what? Those clerks have hard days and they meet some of the most rudest, obnoxious people around. Then they meet some the most nicest people around. And they should go home that afternoon and say, you know what? I met the most wonderful lady. I met the most wonderful man. He came through the line. And even though we were slow, he was smiling, she was smiling. And they encouraged us and they thanked us and they appreciated us. Has God been glorified in us this week? You know, Christ is speaking of the oneness and the unity that comes We are in Christ. One with Him. One with God the Father. The Holy Spirit guiding us. And we should be one with one another. You know, in God's church. The last day church. Jesus is coming soon. Time is getting short. The final movements we're told will be rapid ones. And is there disunity in our church? Is there people mad? People on this side. People on that side. People over here. People staying out on it. We should have total unity in the church through this message. This is a beautiful message. As one Muslim friend told Bruce, he said, you have the most beautiful, perfect message that I've ever heard. So should we be united? Should we be one? It is that unity, the oneness, that makes Christ glorified in us. When they, when people on the outside see a church that's fighting and has disunion and disunity and non-functional and this member's mad at this one and they break up and they get in this group and this group and that, that's not glorifying God. That's glorifying Satan and Satan's having a field day with that. We need unity in our churches, in all churches today, regardless of the denomination. There's good people in all churches and we need to be praying for all churches. Now, think about the serious matter it is for us to seek and pray for unity. This unity with believers in and through Christ is the great strength of His church. United we stand, divided we fall. If our church is not unified, if we're fighting among one another, if this person, if he don't like the pastor or she don't like the elder, this or that, that's not strength, that's weakness. And that's exactly what Satan wants. We need unity in our church. The oneness. The love. For if we're unified, we'll be loving one another. We'll be praying for one another. We will not be talking about one another. We'll be praying for one another. We'll be praying for this church. We'll be praying for the mission of this church. We'll be praying for the neighborhood. For the county. We'll be praying for everybody. Because we are strength and we are united. And this love through which our faith and our unity exist with God's people through faith is a power. The church should be a powerhouse. The church should be like a mighty army, a mighty corps moving through to conquer and to continue conquering for Jesus Christ, His love, His mission. Now what is the strength of the church? Well, inspiration says it's the unity of believers. And since this is true, it's important that we study the subject and understand how we can have unity one with another. How can I have unity? And I'm just using Roger and Robert as an example. What if I got mad at them? And I won't speak to them. And I badmouth them every time I turn around. Can we have strength in that? Can I have unity in that? Can I have power that? Can I go out and be an effectual witness against Christ? Jesus says if we can't forgive another brother or sister in Christ, He can't forgive us. Christ is glorified when His people have unity. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. And if we're going to have unity, we have to become one with Christ first. Not just in spirit, but in character. And then the way we talk and the way we treat other people, we have to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. If we don't have it, we don't have anything. I don't care what we profess, what we eat, what we talk. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus, we're worthless. We don't have anything. To become one with the Messiah in character, we must, by His grace and His power, learn to keep His law For it is the transcript of His character. Now, we cannot keep the law to earn our salvation. Only Jesus Christ saves. Get that. First and foremost. Keeping the law will not save you. Keeping the law has never saved anyone. Keeping the law is not supposed to save you. Keeping the law points you to Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Go with me to Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, it says that the righteous man meditates on God's law. Go with me to Psalm 1. Remember, it doesn't say it saves him. He meditates on it. Why? Because it's a transcript of God's character. Psalm 1, verses 2. Verse 2. Let's start with verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Look at verse 2. But his delight, delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. His delight. His delight. Look at Psalm 40, verse 8. Put me to Psalm 40, verse 8. Remember, Keeping the law does not save you. Keeping the law, we keep it because we love Christ. Psalm 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. You see people saying, I want to do God's will. Well, the psalmist writes it out. I delight, there's that word delight, to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. The law and the gospel go hand in hand. But the work of Satan has been to separate them in the minds of humanity. And Satan has been very successful with many people, including those who profess to follow him. Many Christians ask if they love Jesus Christ would acknowledge, yes, with all their hearts. But if they love God's law, they're not under that old law. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But remember that the Ten Commandments are a description of God's character. Go with me to John 15. John 15, verse 10. Look what it says here. John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus didn't say keeping the commandments will save you. He says, it's because I love God. And if you love Him, you'll keep the commandments just as I kept them. You know, I can look back through the centuries, thousands of years, and I can see many men and women, godly men and women, that have kept the commandments. Moses, Nehemiah, Ezra, David, all the way up. But head and shoulders above them all, I see Jesus Christ standing there. And Jesus is my example. And that is exactly why I'm here this morning. He said, if you love me, you will keep my command." The Ten Commandments represent Him and His character, His love. Becoming one with Christ, where result in unity. When we're all in harmony with the law, we'll be in harmony with one another. Because we'll love one another as Christ loves us. If there's any dissension and strife among us, then we're not keeping the commandments of God. You know, we need to examine our own life. You know, the Bible says examine yourself. It doesn't tell us to examine someone else or look at him or look at her. It tells us to examine our life. And then we look into the law of liberty. We look into the Word. And am I in harmony with the Word of God? For time's sake, this morning... We'll study just one commandment, this one commandment. Just studying this one commandment should convince us that if we kept this one, no strife would exist in our homes, our churches, and in our lives. But remember, it's impossible to keep this commandment and not keep the others. For the commandment says, if you break one, you break them all. And this commandment lays the foundation for the other nine. You know, from the very beginning, it's been God's purpose to overthrow. Uh, it, it, excuse me. From the very beginning, it's been Satan's purpose to overthrow and usurp God and His law. Satan's rebellion was primarily against the first commandment. Satan wanted to place himself above God and receive the worship that belonged to God alone. And in John four twenty three, the Bible tells us that. The Father seeks the worship of mankind. But Satan wants this worship. That's his prerogative. For only God deserves worship. And in order for us to learn what that means, to keep the first commandment, we must first understand the concept of worship. Many times when we think of worship, we think of the outward Motions that come to mind, the bowing of the head, the closing of the eyes, the kneeling, it all comes to mind. But these are just the outward motions of respect or worship. They don't constitute true worship. God seeks only those who will worship Him in spirit and in what? Truth. And where do we get the truth from? It's not from me standing up here speaking. Truth comes from the Word. And if I'm not speaking the truth, have nothing to do with what I'm saying. Don't ever listen to me again. (coughs) Complain to the elders and say, Steve House is not speaking truth. Don't let him in the pulpit again. We must speak truth because Jesus said, I'm the way, the what? Truth and the life. We need to have more than just outward motion. True worship is an action of the heart and the mind. You know, I found it helpful in trying to understand the meaning of a word to look at other words that have the same or similar meaning. One synonym for worship is the word respect. In order to worship or respect someone, we must have profound respect and reverence for that person. If we really have profound respect for God, then there will be practical results in our life. For example, since we're all free moral agents, it's possible that there will be times when we will have differences of opinion with God. If we find that we do differ with God, who do you think needs to change? Me or God? It should be me, shouldn't it? for God is all truth, God is all knowing, God is all wise. I say, well, Lord, you know, I, I just don't see it that way and I can't. Well, it's it should be, Lord, your way is correct. If we truly love God, if we truly respect Him, if we truly worship Him, we will change our way to fit the Word of God. If I truly honor, respect, worship God, we will surrender our opinions to His Word. However, too often, we set ourselves up in the place of God and move forward following our own plans and our own dictates contrary to inspiration, contrary to what God tells us. We do it our way. We're like Frank Sinatra. I did it my way, the song. usually our way, I found out in my life, my ways have been wrong. You know, we actually say, you know, God, I realize that we have a difference of opinion and I've decided to follow my own way because I think that will be the best for me and in my best interest. But if we allow God to be God, we will respect Him so much that we will seek to have our minds brought into harmony with His mind. When I first heard this message and I stepped out to become a Sabbath keeper, I had many people say, oh, that's crazy, oh, that's crazy. But the more I've, Walked in His love and in His truth and in His light. I am so thankful. I am so thankful. God has opened up marvelous doors of opportunity for us. You know, another example we learned from the first commandment has to do with God's rightful authority as being the King of the universe. Because He is our Creator, God has absolute authority. He never abuses his authority by exercising it arbitrarily, like we do. You know, sometimes someone will get a new position in their job, and they seem to be a pretty good per- person. But when they get that new uh, heading, man, they become entire. I've seen that happen over and over and over again, and they forgot where they came from. But, but you know, God is not that way. He never abuses his authority by exercising it wrongly. All his commands are based on a moral principle of love, which he has devised for the good of his children. Now, how does God's absolute authority as a king relate to us? Since the first commandment says that we should have no other gods, should we ever set up another king in our life? No, because if we give another person, a group of people... Kingly authority, whether it's in the nation or church or in our home, we place that person in the place of God. You know, we're in the nation of politics, and we have to have politics. That's not saying we're all good. Politicians are usually the cause of our problems, and yet people clamor for them to solve our problems, and they're usually the cause of it in the first place. Only God! Should be first and foremost in our life. Husbands, let's go a little farther. How do you relate to your wives? Parents, how do we relate to our children? You know, I have seen husbands that really are domineering over their wives to the point of where the wife's miserable. And then I've seen wives domineering over their husbands to the point where he is so henpecked. Then I've seen parents domineering over their children. I had one say. You know, I don't go to church no more because they said as a child, my mother and dad forced it down my neck. And he said, I resented it so much. We need to represent Jesus in all we do. How is it in our own churches? Go with me to Matthew twenty three ten. I don't want to ever turn my children off from church. Matthew 23, 10. Matthew twenty three ten. It says... Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. You know, I met young men when I was in the Marine Corps that they joined the Marine Corps just to get away from family situation. An alcoholic dad, an abusive father, uh, a drunken mother, a prostitute mother. And they just couldn't take it. They had to get out. And it was the best life they ever had when they got into the service. Because they got away. From abuse in their homes. How are we in our homes? Take it further. How are we in our own church? Because I'm an elder, do I try to lord it over somebody or try to abuse it? We should. The higher up you go, the more of a servant you should be. There was one rule in the Marine Corps. Privates, corporals, sergeants. Lieutenants, captains, all the way up. They eat last. They make sure their people are taken care of. Even if they don't get to eat that day, they make sure the troops eat because that's what they're there for. Officers are to serve and help and be a helpman to everyone there. And that's what we as officers in the church. We should be there to serve. We should be servants. The greatest man, the greatest being in the universe came down and lived as a man and he got down and washed the servants' feet. We should be doing the same thing. Now, this text I just read, the word translated here, masters, means a ruler or someone in charge. Jesus said, do not be called masters. What? We're all brothers. I'm not in charge over you. I don't lord nothing over you. Satan's way to get unity and harmony is to create a hierarchical system out of the church where the person at the top issues the orders and everyone jumps when they say how high. Usually out of fear. We need leaders, but we do not lead dictators. We need brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm not saying this is happening in in the church here, but in the entire Christendom it is. For example, look at the papacy. It set up in a way, as was the Jewish church in the time of Christ, and both achieved a type of unity that appeared to be effective. But a hierarchy can never bring about the true unity God wants his followers to have. Because if some get power, what's the old saying? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. We, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We all serve one another. Hierarchy can never bring about the true unity that God wants his followers to have. And also there's some ways that, there's some things that God can do that you and I can't do simply because he's God. And one of these things is to judge the hearts and motives of individuals. Go to, me to Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2. Look what Jesus said here. Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Jesus forgive, forbids us to judge others. Who are we to judge? I don't know it's hard. I don't know their motive. I don't know what they've been through. When I judge somebody, I'm setting myself up in Christ's seat. Because only Christ can judge and God can judge. And then I'm making myself a form of an antichrist. Unfortunately, how often do we try to take God's place and judge the motives of one another? An old pastor told me one time, he said, a church member came to him and said, Pastor, I drove by Kroger the other day and I saw one of our church members come out of church. I, I mean... Come out of Kroger's on the Sabbath with bags of groceries. He said, now this is not to be. This is an officer in our church. And he said, just to satisfy him, I called up the man and said, I have had this. And he said, oh, yes. And he, he did see me. He said, I wish he had stopped and helped. He said, a family called and said they didn't have food. And I was going in and getting them food on the Sabbath day. He, he said, I, I wish the guy would have stopped and helped me. Then we could have got more. Don't judge anybody else's motives. If we've been around where people are gossiping, backbiting, you will notice a tremendous amount of judging or motives of hearts and characters takes place. Never judge someone else. Do we realize the moment that we judge someone else's moment uh, motives, we are breaking the first commandment? There's no other one to die, but God, he's the one that can judge. The very first being to break God's law was Lucifer, the light bearer. This angelic being. And who did Lucifer try to set up in the place of God? Who am I in danger of setting up in the place of God? Self. We all know about dying to self, and you know, in my life the worst enemy that I have is self. Self loves itself. Self loves me. Man, self wants to do everything for me. That's why we have to die to self each and every day of our lives. As we know that Jesus is coming soon, we need to die to self. The Bible and the spirit of prophecy has much to say on this. If we do not die to self, we are allowing self to be set up in the place of God. And how much more then do we need the transforming power of Jesus in our life? Or have we ever had our feelings hurt in church? When we get our feelings hurt, it shows that self is not dead in Steve Steve house. But we dwell upon it. When feelings get hurt, there's sure to be trouble. But he's not going to say that to me again. I'm not going to let them talk that way to me. When this trouble comes into the church, unity is being lost. And the church... Can no longer be a strong bastion in which there is strength. You only have to have one person who has had their feelings hurt to really tear up a church. You know, the old saying, "One bad apple spoils the lot." A whole bunch it's left in there continues to rot out and affect the others. We must put self aside, and if we're going to survive the shaking and be found standing with God's people in the end, we must first learn to keep the first commandment and die to self. Self can be our God no longer. Father in heaven, we thank you that you give us strong warnings about self. Self is my worst enemy. And please, Father, help us each day to die to self and put you first and have no other gods before us For sometimes the greatest God we can put between us and you is self. Help us, Father, to be like you, to reverence you, to love you, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, treat others as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a family, as a family that's going to spend eternity together in the new earth. Help us to love one another, help us to forgive one another, help us, Father, to fall on our knees daily. And give up self, where Christ would be first and foremost in our life, and we would see nothing but Jesus. Guide us with Your Spirit. Bless this church. Bless each person that's here today. Help us to represent You, for You're coming soon. The signs of the time foretell it. Thank You for this hope that we have, and as always, we've asked it in the most precious, the most wonderful name of them all, the soon coming name of Jesus. Amen.